Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When a woman's mutilated body turns up in an abandoned apartment building. It was very gruesome to think how she died. Quiet Tulsa, Oklahoma will never be the same. People could not have been more shocked. Promising leads turn down blind alleys. It's not going to be solved without a miracle. That miracle comes out of nowhere a quarter century later. He was a monster we've been looking for for decades. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Nestled along the Arkansas River, Tulsa, Oklahoma is a genteel place with sophisticated tastes. Built with oil money, it's the buckle of the Bible Belt and seems to have something for everybody. It's a very small town feel in a little bit larger city. You feel like you can walk down the street, or you certainly did back in 1975. In the fall of 1974, 28-year-old CPA Jerry Martin is new in town. She's happy to be out of her hometown in Arkansas and in a tidy duplex with her young second husband. But her stay in Tulsa is tumultuous, and the newlywed begins 1975, newly divorced for the second time. I know her first marriage lasted a couple of years, and then I know her second marriage was less than a year. So I, I think that she was a woman who struggled a little bit to find the right guy. After the split, Jerry's quickly out on the town. She liked Tulsa pretty well. Tulsa was a neat place to live in the 70s. That was kind of the disco era. There was you know, a lot of partying going on. Jerry soon finds herself in the arms of new boyfriend, Ken Welch. I was very pleased to be dating her. After meeting Ken at a disco, Jerry's smitten, 
but takes things slow. We enjoyed going out to dinner together. We had some conversations that I thought were quite meaningful. Jerry is happy to play the field again. And the ghosts of past relationships don't bother Ken. She was married twice, but I had been married once. So it's not like we were walking down a lily-lined path or anything like that. Jerry may be practical, but she has a zest for life. She wants to be more than just a law firm accountant. She liked to have fun. She had the CPA, and she was furthering her education through night classes at the community college there in Tulsa. She was a woman who had had a couple of bad, quick relationships, and she was trying to find herself, and she was really in a good place. Jerry hopes an art class is the creative outlet she's been looking for. But she won't have a chance to find out. Her very first art class will be her last. Thursday, February 6, 1975, dawns bitterly cold. But Jerry's new beau starts his day with another kind of chill. Her friend had called me that morning and asked me if Jerry was over to my place. And I said, no. And uh, she said, uh, well, she didn't show up for work. She asks if Ken could go to Jerry's apartment. And so I did, and nothing. Uh, no car there or anything, and, and the porch light was still on. And this was like mm, 9 o'clock in the morning. They haven't been dating long, but taking off on a lark doesn't seem like the Jerry he knows. And when Ken gets to Tulsa Community College, where Jerry started art class the night before, he spots a familiar car. It was a little Volkswagen, and it had her books uh, in the back, and I could see her name on one of the books. And I thought, no, this isn't right, because she wouldn't be here. Ken immediately alerts campus security, but it doesn't exactly go well. They did not think that it was my place to say anything, because uh, as far as they knew, I was a jealous boyfriend, or a boyfriend that she's trying to stay away from, or something like that. But when Jerry's distraught parents start calling, they get the attention of the big boys. Thursday finds Detective Martin Van at work, doing what he loves. After a grueling tour of duty in Vietnam, Van still wants to serve as a police officer. Anytime you can help somebody that really needs it, that's a real payback. And Tulsa is full of people Van can help. It was a good place to be. It was calm, yet it was growing. But that calm is shattered when a missing persons case lands on Van's desk. The department is supposed to wait three days before investigating such cases, but this one's different. Her boyfriend said she was missing. He had found her car. He was checked out. She was missing, and we had to find her. So less than 24 hours after Jerry was last seen, police are on the case. Since her car had been found and nobody had seen her, we obviously assumed that she had been taken by force. But when police check out the car, they're stumped. There are no signs of foul play inside or outside the vehicle. We had no witnesses. No unusual sounds were reported. We had nothing except basically a fact that this woman was missing, and there was no reason for her to be missing. It looks like it's time for some good old police work. Before Van can figure out what happened to Jerry, he needs to know how she lived. When Van arrives at Jerry's home, everything's in its proper place, just like her boyfriend said it would be. 
There wasn't a dish in the sink. All of her clothes were neatly placed on the hangers and then the hangers neatly placed in her closet, evenly spaced. All of her shoes were against the wall, toes forward. Jerry is a woman with all her ducks in a row. And this told me this was not the residence of somebody that would just disappear and not let somebody know. Something was wrong. So what happened to her? Where did she go? It looks like Van's going to need some help on this one. Every detective on the squad that's not tied up on other cases is brought in to search for Jerry, including Chuck Jordan. And like Van, he's a young cop paying his dues. Uh, 1975, I was a detective at that point in time working midnight shift, actually. Jordan spends the next several nights questioning everyone Jerry knows, from her classmates to her co-workers. Trying to determine if maybe there's somebody isn't answering your question just right. Maybe they could be a suspect in it. And with two failed marriages under her belt, the cops give Jerry's exes some special attention. Exes are always somebody that we tend to think could have ill will towards somebody. So we went to the exes, certainly investigated their possible involvement. The husband Jerry divorced a few months ago is living in Tulsa. But his alibi checks out. He was at work the night she disappeared. Her first husband also has an alibi. They couldn't find anybody who was mad at her, anybody who had it in for her, anybody she had spoken harshly to or tried to do something bad to. At that point, we became very concerned and began an all-out search through Tulsa to try to find her. Detective Jordan dives in headfirst. But it's a cop who isn't even assigned to the case who lands the first break. The day after Jerry's disappearance, an officer driving into work spots something beside the road. A brown purse that just might belong to Jerry Martin. You know, we knew that her purse had gone missing. That was a lead that we thought we could do something with. The purse contains Jerry's keys and what looks like a bit of blood on the latch. This certainly added more credence to the fact that she must have been taken against her will. It's their best clue yet. The stretch of expressway is less than two miles from Tulsa Community College, where Jerry was last seen. It gives us an idea of maybe what part of town the suspect went through. And soon detectives get a lead on who that suspect might be. The day after Jerry's art class, somebody went shopping at her expense. Lucky for detectives, the quick-thinking store clerk realizes the man's signature doesn't match the card. And she had advised us that she chased him more or less through the store out to the parking lot. And while she's at it, the clerk gets a good look at the suspect. As a white male with long hair, of course, that was not uncommon. This is the 70s. Hopefully, a police drawing will lead detectives right to this mystery man. This was a big deal for us. It put a face on who we were looking for. You get a lot of leads coming in when you publish a sketch. We start getting a lot of calls from all over the city. As detectives sift through all the tips, one in particular stands out. A neighbor of Jerry's reports a man sitting in his car down the block from her apartment. He doesn't exactly resemble the guy in the sketch, but the woman thought police should know about. It turns out the car belongs to Jerry's boyfriend, Ken Welch. The boyfriend would be a person of interest, somebody you would speak to. 
especially if that boyfriend's been lurking outside his missing girlfriend's apartment. Leaving police to wonder if Jerry's new love isn't Mr. Nice Guy after all. And they have one question for Ken. Can you tell me where you were during the time that, that she was abducted? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Life in Tulsa, Oklahoma in the mid-70s is not exactly fast-paced. But word is spreading like wildfire about Jerry Martin, who vanished after an art class a few nights before. This was in every headline. It was on the news every night. This was a big deal. Back in 1975, Lori Fulbright is in grade school, dreaming of being a reporter. She has no idea she'll one day cover one of the most talked-about cases in Tulsa. 
I'm Lori Fulbright. Tulsa police tell us that homicides are lower. Now as KOTV's crack crime reporter, she's the city's window into the dark side. And just like her viewers, Lori's wondering who's behind Jerry Martin's abduction. They're draining ponds, they're searching for people, they've got a composite out there. People were scared and they didn't know, you know, what's going on with this woman who's disappeared. Jerry's boyfriend, Ken, seems just as baffled. But his concerns turn to confusion when he finds himself at the center of the investigation. Police want to know why he's been loitering outside Jerry's apartment. They took me down and I was printed and mugged. I'm level-headed enough that I wasn't going to raise a fuss because <laughs> that's one place you don't want to raise a fuss. At the station, Ken's as cooperative as can be. He swears he didn't make Jerry disappear. In fact, he claims he was trying to track down the man who did, the man caught red-handed using Jerry's credit card, whose face police have plastered all over Tulsa. If this fellow had used her credit cards, well, he knows where she lives. He's got her ID and everything else. And if the suspect decided to show up at Jerry's house, Ken wanted to be there. He tells police it's the least he could do for his girlfriend. So I was going to play detective, and I went over to her apartment and parked about three blocks away around the corner, uh, very subtle in a red Corvette. The do-it-yourself stakeout quickly gets Ken in trouble. I watched for, oh, 30, 45 minutes, and then I happened to see in the rearview mirror a lady coming out with a pad and a pencil, writing my tag number down. He may be guilty of bad judgment, but detectives are starting to realize he's not a bad guy. Investigators are now certain clean-cut Ken is telling the truth. It was tough to not be able to do anything. The only thing I could do would be get in somebody's way. Ken is not the only one in town new to police work. Mike Huff's cadet uniform barely has a wrinkle on it when Jerry Martin goes missing. I was 19 when I uh, joined the police department. I was just so focused on wanting to be a policeman. Huff and the other cadets are more than fresh faces. Detectives know the youngsters will make good foot soldiers. In the 70s, we were a couple hundred people smaller than we are today, and resources were slim, and so they immediately threw us in the mix. The newbie could not have drawn a higher-profile case to cut his teeth on. Most of the veteran investigators had felt that as the days went on, Jerry would be found dead. No matter what the outcome, it's up to Huff and the rest of the men in blue to find Jerry. And fast. And that means looking in every nook and cranny for any sign of Jerry. We followed up on friends that might know where she was. The thing about Jerry's case is she was so ordinary. Just a gal who was dating a boy and lived in an apartment and worked. Where does a likable young woman with no apparent enemies disappear to? I turned over every rock, every trash can, every dumpster, crawled under every building that I could get into. We just left no stone unturned. Investigators keep one eye out for Jerry and another for her suspected abductor. I went through thousands and thousands of mugshots looking for people that look similar. And I think I got to the point where I was seeing that guy in my sleep. The search is going nowhere fast. The veterans are frustrated, the rookies bewildered.
I don't think anybody had a clue as to how this would play out over the years, but they feared the worst and we found the worst. On Monday, February 24th, three weeks after Jerry Martin was last seen leaving her art class, a phone call breaks the case wide open. There was an apartment complex in the city that was in the process of being renovated, and they found a body. One of the construction workers had opened up a closet door and saw what he thought was a mannequin. When cops arrive on North Osage Drive, they know they have a homicide on their hands. Didn't take too long at the scene to realize the fact that that body was Ms. Martin. Below freezing temperatures in the unheated apartment kept the body from decomposing, preserving injuries these cops will never forget. I would say that of all the homicides that I've seen in my career, which is a few hundred, it was certainly one of the most gruesome. Jerry was clearly tortured, her body mutilated in unspeakable ways. Investigators also suspect she was raped. Whoever the attacker was, Jerry clearly didn't have a chance against him. It's not hard to imagine what the victim was going through as she was being killed. Uh, there was a coat hanger around her neck, which had strangled her. The cops know whoever did this is utterly depraved. It's a classic case of overkill. There was some post-mortem wounds to the body that were, of course, very gruesome. The killer made quite a mess. Maybe that's why he didn't notice the telltale clue he left behind. Probably the most significant was a fingerprint in blood under her body that wasn't hers. That pretty well rules out anybody other than the killer or somebody that's present, at least, during the killing. Police know that the fingerprint on the filthy floorboard just might belong to Jerry's killer. We did everything we could to preserve that for the future. Based on the barbaric injuries, detectives are convinced that Jerry's killer has done this before. If her body had been found beaten to death or just strangled, we'd have probably spent a little more time looking at exes and her closest circle of friends. But this was pretty obviously a serial killer. The crime scene, that half-renovated empty apartment on North Osage Drive, also tells detectives a lot. Finding the body the way it was, where it was at, this all indicated this had been a planned attack was a place to go with the victim. Nothing puts pressure on a police department like a serial killer on the loose, especially when cops have no idea who he is or where he's hiding. Nothing. We had absolutely nothing. No leads. But Lady Luck is about to change things up a bit. When investigators get a tip about a suspect who hasn't exactly been lying low. His actions of being nude in front of a window is what brought the focus on him. Jerry Martin has been a household name in Tulsa, Oklahoma, since she vanished three weeks ago. But concern turns to horror as locals try to deal with her brutal and mysterious death. People could not have been more shocked to the core to find out that her body had been found and the way that she had been treated at the end. Determined to calm the city's fears, investigators set out to bring a murderer to justice. As it turns out, they have their eye on a promising suspect. A type of character that somebody who knew him would say, you need to check this guy out. 
a possible match for the sketch, this guy's infamous for lewd behavior towards women on the street, while standing naked in his hotel window in downtown Tulsa. Guy had problems. And the guy, Christopher Quaid, is about to have more problems than he bargained for. A week and a half after getting the tip from a custodian across the street from the hotel, detectives track him down. It appears that the guy was in an illegal activity and he went to jail for it. So far, so good. The fact that he had stringy dark hair could give somebody some indication that we need to look at him a little closer as a possible suspect who used Geraldine's credit card at a local retailer. But the man in the window has more than an appalling lack of modesty. Christopher Quaid has an alibi. It seems the evening Jerry Martin disappeared was his wedding night. Cops confirm this with his blushing bride and move on. I was very frustrated because we didn't have the kind of evidence that's going to lead us directly to a suspect. The best we had was that fingerprint. The fingerprint lifted from the floorboard at the crime scene. The one print experts at Tulsa PD actually memorized. You'd bring a suspect into detective vision, they would walk up and say, hey, let me see his right index finger. And they would look and they could tell you, no, that's not him. A refrain that's becoming all too common in the homicide department. Cadet Mike Huff is as frustrated as anyone. Well, Geraldine Martin was the first dead body I'd ever seen other than at a funeral. Geraldine Martin, very personal. This case just haunted me. What haunts the cops most is the lack of an obvious motive. Some of the hardest cases to figure out as a cop why somebody does it are the sexual predator cases. But they see this predator has a signature style, one that's written all over the medical examiner's findings. It makes even hardened cops shudder. After I read the ME's report, I think my first emotion probably was anger. You know, how could one human being do this to another? The coroner is convinced Jerry was raped while alive, then raped again and mutilated post-mortem. Sounds like the work of a sadist who knows what he likes. More than ever, police believe they are looking for a serial killer. That's a big deal when you're talking about behavioral analysis. It gave us other options to compare it to other cases nationwide to see if we could possibly get a suspect there. The unique cruelty of the murder suggests this was not random. There was a usual list of the perps that you would want to check with the uh, known rapists, sex offenders, because this was not apparently uh, a street person that was high on drugs. It's still anyone's guess. I began to think maybe this guy was nomadic. Uh, he just came into Tulsa on occasion, some type of migrant worker. But nobody in the community could give us any leads. So where is he? Apparently not here. So Tulsa PD puts the word out. Maybe other detectives have run up against a serial killer with this gory M.O. We hoped it would lead us to possibly another investigation somewhere else in the country where they had more information about the suspect. Months pass, and the cops follow every lead they get. Each one, a dead end. You know, during the 1970s, we didn't have the resources we have available now. 
I don't mean just manpower, but the databases, the computers, the forensic technology, the things of that nature. So it went cold. And it stays that way for a quarter century. By 2001, the case is as frosty as an Oklahoma winter morning. Tulsa police are asking for help from citizens to try to find new evidence in a decades-old homicide. It's one of the oldest cases on Lori Fulbright's Cold Case Homicides feature on KOTV. Every year on the anniversary, we would do a big push and say, does anybody know who this killer is? Call Crime Stoppers. It's not like we've ever forgotten Jerry Martin. The feeling's the same over at the Tulsa PD. While other detectives have long retired, the Martin case is still on Mike Huff's to-do list. No longer a rookie, he's now head of the homicide division and the cold case unit. She still stands out. I mean, I can almost by hand draw you a picture of what her crime scene was just from memory. I mean, it's ingrained. After all this time, Huff knows whoever killed Jerry might be dead himself by now. But he just can't shake the feeling her murderer is still alive and ticking. Always in the back of my mind, you think about, there is a killer out there walking the streets somewhere, and what can we do to find him? Detective Huff might not have to wrestle with that question much longer. In January of 2001, he and his colleagues get some unexpected help. A woman calling from out of the blue has everyone's attention. What she says to detectives shivering over this ice-cold case warms them up again. We received a phone call from Marion Delonzo, and she offered up a possible suspect on the Jerry Martin case, a suspect that had killed her sister and others, Herman Lamb. Like Jerry Martin, the caller's sister, Denise Stallhut, was abducted, raped, and strangled back in the 70s. In so many of these cases, the family becomes an investigator. And this woman's sister was dogged in trying to determine if this man who she believed killed her sister had killed other people. Illinois investigators now had DNA evidence that links suspected serial killer Herman Lamb to Denise's case, but hoped to connect him to other deaths so he stays behind bars for good. So we thought that was a really good suspect. Cops got excited here. They started, you know, making inquiries and trying to find out more about him. Turns out, Lamb's already doing 22 years for the brutal murder of a Florida nightclub dancer. He abducted, beat, and strangled her in 1987. We felt that those were some characteristics that the killer of Geraldine Martin may have. And it's just a gut feeling, but we put a lot of effort into that gut feeling. And when Mike Huff learns more about Lamb's lifestyle, that feeling grows. It turns out, at the time of Jerry's murder, Lamb was a roving pipeline worker who spent time in Tulsa. We were able to receive information that Herman Lamb was near the location of where Jerry Martin was abducted from and ultimately found. Looks like this unexpected tip just may turn into something after all. The fact that he was in the geographical location during the time frame that we were looking for, the fact that he was a drifter, the fact that he had killed before. A serial killing drifter placed in Tulsa in 1975, has investigators excited for the first time in decades. Lamb was the best hope we had at that time frame for the killer. It looks like it's time for Sergeant Huff's team to pull the forensic evidence out of storage. If detectives working Denise's cold case were lucky enough to find DNA evidence, maybe Tulsa detectives will too. But first, 
investigators need to see if the evidence even survived. We had a problem in Tulsa where a fridge was unplugged in the lab and some of our DNA samples were disintegrated and those cases could never be solved. But Jerry's case was not one of those. It turns out key items in the Martin case were simply placed in a bag in an evidence room at room temperature. And everything inside the bag is well-preserved. So far, so good. But did the killer leave any DNA behind? It's just a whole new world of crime investigation technique. DNA is going to lead to that arrest. They're going to be caught. It's just a matter of time. Will the cold case team get the results they want, or will they be disappointed yet again? Get more Nightmare Next Door online at investigation.discovery.com. For folks in Tulsa, it's hard to imagine that 25 years have passed since Jerry Martin's death. And locals find it even harder to believe no one's ever been arrested for her murder. A sentiment reporter Lori Fulbright often hears from her viewers. Unsolved cases are very hard on the police. They're very hard on the community. If that kind of evil is going to exist, they want someone held accountable. And when no one is, it makes you feel more vulnerable. And nobody likes that feeling. Least of all, Sergeant Mike Huff, who's been on this case since Jerry went missing such a long time ago. That case not being solved for year after year after year, it was way past frustrating. It was sad. But things are starting to look up. Sergeant Mike Huff now has his eye on serial killer Herman Lamb. He's putting all his money on his new prime suspect. We always felt that whoever killed Geraldine Martin had killed other people. And kill he did. Lamb's already in prison for the murder of one woman, linked by DNA to Denise Stallhut's death, and suspected of more. In each case, the victim was strangled, just like Jerry Martin. Absolutely, we thought these cases might be linked. I mean, we just got that feeling. We now had something to run with. We had something to focus our attention on. Investigators immediately obtain a copy of his fingerprints from a 1964 larceny arrest. They want to know if he's the one who left the telltale print at the crime scene. And this fingerprint was good evidence because of where it was located. It was in her blood. It was right at the crime scene under her body. Good evidence, all right. But it doesn't tie Lamb to the murder. The fingerprints don't match. And we think, well, maybe there's still hope. There is. Just because Lamb isn't a match doesn't mean he didn't do it. There's only one way to find out for sure, DNA testing. DNA is going to follow you wherever you go, and we're gonna follow DNA. The crime lab has found DNA evidence on the blouse and pantyhose Jerry was wearing at the time of her murder. DNA only Jerry's rapist and killer could have left behind. Seminal fluid was the key to this case, to be analyzed with new forensic technology, DNA, and to develop that profile of this unknown suspect. It's news detectives have been waiting for, but their excitement is once again short-lived. Caged killer Herman Lamb is not a match. Lamb was the best hope we had that time frame for the killer, and it's just like the air gets let out of a balloon. All of a sudden, you're back to square one. Detectives are discouraged, but not defeated. 
we found disappointment, but we also really got the Geraldine Martin case front row and center again, and that was good. But even the most dedicated lawman needs a break from the monotony every now and then. I'm blessed to have two good children, and that's been my hobby. A hobby that often includes chasing golf balls with his teenage son. But the punishment from wrestling too many bad guys has put a crimp in his game. I've had so many injuries over the years. My neck's bolted together. My shoulders are both injured. Time on the links is time well spent, away from Mike Huff to renew his energy. And he's going to need plenty of it now that the Martin case is once again at the top of his to-do list. He will not give up. He is a dog with a bone when it comes to these homicides. And he is the most determined, dogged investigator out there. And he wouldn't let this case go or any other case. On this case, Sergeant Huff has at least one advantage. We just knew we had the killer's DNA. But you have to generate your own suspect. And they do just that. Cold case detectives scour police reports and the internet for any new links to Jerry's case. They looked at everybody. They even looked at Ted Bundy as a possible suspect. Their minds were open to any possibility of finding Jerry's killer. They even revisit names from Jerry's past, including her old boyfriend, Ken Welch. At the time of her disappearance, detectives did wonder about Ken. She had met Ken Welch uh, three or four weeks before her death. And what an unusual and weird circumstance to just meet a new boy that she, by all accounts, really liked. They had just had lunch that day together. And now, with new technology at their fingertips, detectives want his DNA just in case he was ruled out prematurely. I knew nothing about the cold case unit. I didn't even know they had one working on it until the DNA test. Ken, now living in Arizona, gets a surprise visit from local detectives. And boy, it took a couple of seconds for me to realize what they were talking about, because it had been so long. And they said, would you be willing to come down to our headquarters and give a DNA sample? And I said, sure. Sure enough, his DNA is not a match. And once again, it looks like Ken is on the up and up. It was a relief. I'm not trying to hide anything. You know, let's put this to bed. I wasn't really upset about it at all. I can't imagine what it's been like for Ken Welch over the years. He was so cooperative. He's been so helpful. It would be hard to date a girl and maybe just in the early stages of maybe falling in love with someone and then have them rip from you so tragically. Despite yet another setback, detectives push forward. By November 2002, their hard work pays off. It turns out a detective from the El Cajon PD near San Diego has some big news. The detective's been reading about the Martin case on the Tulsa PD's website and thinks he might have Jerry's murderer, a suspected serial killer sitting in a San Diego jail, charged with not one, but two murders. He was investigating a serial murder crime spree in Southern California, and the suspect was an over-the-road truck driver. The good detective believes in his heyday this killer may have also struck outside of California. So then he starts researching his whereabouts, and it's not easy to track somebody's timeline necessarily. He starts, when was he in prison? When was he out of prison? Where was he paroled to? And he starts putting together a map of where he's been. Along the way, the detective tracks down the trucking company the suspect worked for, which kept excellent records, as well as his previous addresses. 
And I know our officers were more than impressed when he called and said, I think he could have been in Tulsa for a couple of years, 75, 76. And he wasn't just in town. He was right there, living close to that abandoned apartment building where Jerry was found. In fact, it was just blocks away. You could almost see the crime scene from where he was living. And detectives got very reservedly excited about that idea that surely, what are the odds? Well, it can be. Could it be? By then, they were like, okay, this looks good, but we're not going to get our hopes up. We're not going to get overly excited because we did that before, and it didn't turn out. But it's hard not to be intrigued by another serial killing suspect who strangles and rapes his victims. This guy fit what we thought we would find. A guy who in the 70s looked a lot like the man spotted using Jerry Martin's credit card the day after she disappeared. Just who are detectives cautiously optimistic about? 64-year-old Clyde Wilkerson. Before this day, Clyde Wilkerson was not even on our radar screen. We hadn't even heard of him. They'll soon know every detail about Wilkerson, and then some. Detective Huff hopes this suspect is a keeper. More than 25 years after Jerry Martin's death, her case is finally back in high gear. Tulsa detectives are learning everything they can about suspected serial killer Clyde Wilkerson. Clyde Carl Wilkerson shared the profile of who we thought we'd be looking for. Kind of a drifter. No real connections that are landing him in one area for a long period of time. A lengthy criminal record. A record including charges for two salacious 1965 cold case murders. DNA links Wilkerson to those killings in El Cajon, California. A lot of cases prior to DNA, a lot of cases prior to fingerprinting and APHIS databases went cold just because there wasn't anything to lead you to somebody. Back in 65, Wilkerson was already in custody in El Cajon for violently assaulting 23-year-old nurse Charlotte McRae. Local investigators suspect he was also to blame for other murders. 19-year-old single mom Cheryl Bennett was raped and killed in her own home. Like Jerry Martin, the woman was sexually defiled post-mortem. Clyde Wilkerson is the stuff that nightmares are made of. It's the stuff that every woman worries about. What if I would come face to face with a man like that? You see it on the movies, you see it on TV, and you think, oh, that would be horrible. But to know that he's really out there, that makes it hard to sleep at night. Just three weeks later and two miles away from Cheryl's, a husband and wife came face to face with the same man. 57-year-old Lola Mercer was raped, tortured, and beaten. Her 62-year-old husband, Lewis, bludgeoned to death. There's no telling how many victims are still out there, but he's just a reign of terror. The reign ends in 2002, 37 years after the El Cajon killings. Now that Tulsa detectives know Wilkerson's history, they're convinced he's behind Jerry's killing as well. No matter where law enforcement is, when we share the information with each other, we can find the bad guys. So the Tulsa cops order a rush DNA test using the same sample California detectives collected from envelopes Wilkerson licked at his trucking company. Huff keeps his fingers crossed, hoping for the same result. I mean, it was a match that day. It was a positive. I can hardly even share what that moment was like. 
how many phone calls I made, how many things were running through my head. I was elated. Clyde Carl Wilkerson was a killer. He was a monster we'd been looking for for decades. Things had come full circle. This happened days after I had got on the job as a kid. This guy had been pretty elusive to me, and, and I had written him off for literally a decade or two as, I don't think we'll ever find this guy. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how many years have passed. A killer can still be caught. DNA proves Wilkerson did it, but the case is far from over. Before Huff gets his hands on him, Wilkerson must face a California judge. And when he does in March 2003, he pleads guilty and receives a life sentence for his crimes in El Cajon. It's like, uh, now this is an old man that life finally caught up with him. And I had great pleasure in seeing that old man come back here. Someone else who's taking great pleasure learning that Clyde Wilkerson is finally being held to account is Jerry Martin's one-time boyfriend. I felt actually impressed that the detectives would continue working on the case like they have and actually come up with a suspect. Nearly a year after his guilty plea, Sergeant Huff finally meets his nemesis in person when Wilkerson is extradited to Oklahoma. They flew him back on a plane, shackled. And it was great being face-to-face -face with that monster and to know that through one guy's good work out here in California, this guy's at the end of his road. He's never going to breathe another free day of air. In April 2004, Clyde Carl Wilkerson pleads guilty to the rape, torture, and strangulation death of Jerry Martin. A plea deal allows Wilkerson to serve out his life sentence in California. It made me feel really satisfied. Made me feel like I was part of a team that hit a home run out of the ballpark. Based on the evidence, detectives have a pretty good idea what happened to Jerry Martin on that fateful February night in 1975. She did nothing to cause this to happen to her other than to walk out the front door of a junior college and try and get home. But before Jerry is safely in her car, she runs into Wilkerson lurking in the shadows. This was one of these sexual predators that, that saw a unique opportunity. It was dark, pretty isolated, and an attractive young woman coming out of a building. From there, the terror starts. Wilkerson takes Jerry to the abandoned apartment building on North Osage Drive. He sexually assaulted her tortured her, killed her, and then left her like garbage. The very next day, he's almost caught using her stolen credit cards. We were so close to catching him 24 hours after she's missing, less than. We could have had him. Wilkerson gets away scot-free and disappears for over a quarter century. This guy is like the boogeyman and he is what we are scared of as a society or a community. Good thing Wilkerson won't be around much longer. He's gonna die soon, hopefully. The tragic death of young Jerry Martin has changed Tulsa forever. Life here isn't so rosy anymore. That was our first big wake-up call, is, oh my gosh, this kind of evil, this kind of terror can happen in Tulsa, Oklahoma. These days, folks don't take anything 
or anyone for granted. It's just critical to our society that we catch these people. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.